The time is now. Volume 5, episode 103. This is Employment Law Now, and I am Mike Schmidt, your host and the vice chair of the Labor and Employment Department at Cozen O'Connor. We're going to switch gears a little today. Instead of talking about the current status of COVID-19 and the various laws and regulation and guidance coming out of the pandemic, I thought it was important to talk about sort of the elephant in the room for so many people, and that is the mental health implications of the COVID-19 pandemic on both employers and employees. Because let's face it, all of us are either an employer or an employee. I just did an interview for the New York City chapter of the Association for Corporate Counsel, uh, ACC of NYC, and I was joined by Dr. Christina Carson-Sacco, who is a clinical psychologist, a wellness consultant, and the co-founder of the Center for Neuropsychology and Counseling. Dr. Carson Sacco and I talked about a wide range of issues, including how to deal with the blurring of lines between the office and remote workspace, as well as how both employers and employees can better promote focus and mental health during this challenging pandemic. I'm replaying the interview in its entirety, and I hope you find something that resonates for you here. My name is Christine Brown. I'm on the board for the ACC New York City chapter, and I encourage you to check our online calendar at accnewyorkcity.com for a list of our upcoming events. We have a great lineup of virtual and in-person programs. Register to join us for a CLE webinar on October 27th. ESG and the Corporate Governance, Lessons for In-House Counsel. And be sure to save the date for our 2021 in-person full-day in-house counsel toolkit, which will be held on November 18th. I am pleased to welcome everyone to Wishing the Legal Industry Well, sponsored by Cozen O'Connor. Thanks everyone for joining. Before we launch into the program, we have some brief housekeeping items to address. All participants will be in listen-only mode. Today's presentation is being recorded, and if you have a question, please enter it into the Q&A feature during the program. Now, it is my pleasure to introduce the speakers for today's webinar. Michael Schmidt is the Vice Chair, Labor and Employment Department at Cozen O'Connor, and Dr. Christina Carson-Sacco co-founded the Center for Neuropsychology and Counseling. Welcome, everyone. Thank you, Christine. Now, welcome, everybody. Uh, it's great to see you at the end of a, another long day. Uh, to say that the past 18 months have been trying, stressful, uh, and outright exhausting might be one of the biggest understatements of this entire pandemic. Uh, on the other hand, if you want to look at this as a glass half full kind of thing, Having dialogues like this, having discussions and open discussions about mental health and uh, other problems caused by the pandemic uh, is probably really a good thing. And it's uh, one of the benefits uh, of uh, the pandemic or coming out of the pandemic. What's really interesting to me is I I just saw at the end of last week in Law 360, uh, there was a study by a consulting company, Gartner Inc., um, that released a report Um, where it mentioned that 54% of corporate lawyers uh, identify as being moderately or highly exhausted because of the pandemic. Uh, More than two-thirds of those who say that they're highly exhausted are looking to leave their particular companies. And uh, what to me was a staggering 41% uh, of those surveyed identified as being in some state of psychological distress. 
so, you know, really crazy numbers and we can spend the whole hour on statistics and really uh, get us even more depressed than perhaps uh, we might be. Um, and, and look, this is about all industries, uh, all employers, all employees. I don't think anybody is immune to what many of us are feeling. Certainly some uh, have had it much more difficult than others. Um, but the fact of the matter is uh, we are in an exhausting and an exhausted environment. And uh, we appreciate you spending a little bit of time with us to talk about some of these issues and get some thoughts uh, and perspective on uh, what we might be able to do to help alleviate what so many people are feeling. Um, with me, as you just heard, is Dr. Christina Carson Sacco. Uh, I am thrilled to have her in addition to being a clinical psychologist and co-founder of the Center for Neuropsychology and Counseling. She's also a consultant for professionals, including on these types of wellness issues, uh, and is a very sought-after public speaker. We are happy to have her here. Uh, Dr. Carson Sacco, thank you so much for joining today. Hi, Mike. I, I think it's great that you're including this in your lineup. Um, I didn't know those statistics until you just shared them with me, so I'm, I'm even happier to be here. Thank you. No, we, uh, we really appreciate it. Look, we spent so much time talking about the underlying, whether it's labor and employment or other legal issues coming out of the pandemic, but uh, I think it's safe to say that this is just as, if not perhaps more important to talk about uh, the effect that this is all having on lawyers and uh, on our industry. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your background and uh, your practice and, and specifically how have the past 18 months impacted you and your practice? Absolutely. Um, I, I do have my doctorate in psychology and I've been practicing in private practice alone for over 20 years. Um, mostly I do therapy um, in my day-to-day -day life um, with clients of all ages, couples, families, but I do. I consult with schools, physicians. I work a lot with attorneys as well, mostly in the family law um, sector. And uh, for the past 14 years, I have been running a business. Um, so I, I overlap with some of your struggles, I'm sure. Um, and then in my little bit of spare time, I am a parent and I volunteer on some nonprofit boards. Um, and I try, but probably don't always succeed to follow some of the tips that I'm going to share with you today. Um, so yeah, the past 18 months, how's it affected uh, my practice? I, I think um, most of you probably can relate to some of this. Um, you know, I had to suddenly learn a new way of working and it kind of came out of nowhere. I never thought I'd do anything like telehealth that was not in my, my realm of things I was attracted to, but I had to learn pretty quickly how to do my job in a different way. Um, I had to think about safety for myself, my family, but also my, my employees. Um, I had to think about how to be flexible and mobile, um, how to figure out some new technology, um, how to run a practice and, and uh, be more web-based and track data and keep everybody safe and figure out how do we work from home and, you know, find a comfortable chair to do that in. Um, I even uh, did a little work in my parking lot uh, over last winter. I was actually doing uh, some very strange looking therapy. I backed my SUV into a parking lot at work and threw a blanket on my lap and got a cup of coffee and had clients who didn't have privacy or technology at home pulling in next to me. It looked a little shady, um, but yeah, I was making it work, right? You know, you're trying to be flexible, trying to serve the needs of your clients while still being, you know, ethical. Um, so it was stressful. Um, our industry is definitely considered a frontline worker kind of industry. Um, and my caseload was pretty full before the pandemic hit, but as you alluded to, Mike, um, things have gotten stressful. So um I guess if we're looking for the silver lining, as you said, I think things have been kind of destigmatized when everybody's feeling the hit from the pandemic and they're talking about going to therapy, it kind of legitimizes a little bit. Um, you know, people are sharing names of psychologists and, and places that can support them. Um, so yeah, I think we were we got flooded even more. Um, we had to learn to hire people remotely. I had someone work for me I never met in person, um, adding to our staff. Um, but I, I think there's something unique um, in a good and a bad way about this. I think it's the first time all of us um, are going through the same stressor, major stressor that all of our clients are. And, and I think that's a double-edged sword because we can certainly relate to our clients, but 
it's definitely weighing all of us down and, and tapping out our bandwidth while we're trying to, you know, meet the needs of, of our um, employees and our clients. Um, I had a study that I actually heard today. Um, so it's just in time to, you know, put this into the, the talk today. And it, it's not talk. a good... Is that what we're doing? Who can top who with studies? So right, right, right. Mine, yeah. My statistics are better than yours, Mike. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's actually my statistics are... are sad, just like yours. Um, the statistic came out of uh, somewhere. Uh, I saw it on the news today that they finally have caught up with uh, some research and found that 25 plus percent um, increase in uh, reported cases of depression and another 25 percent in reported cases of anxiety during the pandemic, which translates under each of those diagnoses to tens of millions of people. So I guess, you know, not only is this timely, um, but it certainly means that everybody who's joining us um, has been touched in some way, whether it's themselves or whether it's, you know, their employees or their family members. Um, I think we're all dealing with some heaviness um, and some anxiety over the past 18 months. Yeah. And, and I want to get to, uh, in a couple of minutes, um, what's fascinating to me is it's, it's sort of a, a broad statement to say we're all feeling anxious. But when you drill down, it's interesting to see how the things we've been anxious about have also evolved and have changed over the past 18 months. And I, I want to, I'm going to get there in a moment. But what I want to start with is you talking about the reaction and, and this reaction that we all seem to have. I say all the time, for the most part, we are all either employers or employees. But at the end of the day, we certainly all are human beings, first and foremost. Um, what is our natural response as human beings to a pandemic like this? I don't think there's a normal, is there? Um, <clears throat> I guess one of the things that I often think about is, you know, we like to think we're higher order beings, especially those of us, you know, with some degrees. You know, I, I'm, you know, I'm not primitive. Um, but we've all got this little part back here in the back of our brains that is pretty primitive that, that you know, connects us to, you know, animals. Um, and that's where, if you remember back to high school biology, um, you learned about the fight-flight response. Uh, some people have started to add freeze because they just got to get another word in there. So fight-flight-freeze. Um, and it's, it's there for a purpose. It's there for our survival as a species. Um, it helps us rally our defenses and fight off danger. Um, makes our hearts beat faster and, you know, we're breathing shallow, our stomach starts to churn and we become really hyper alert. But it's supposed to be for short bursts, for little quick actions to save our lives. We are living in a protracted, long, dangerous situation. Um, and then we had all kinds of other things on top of the pandemic over the past year and a half that has just heightened this sense of like the world isn't safe. Um, so any surge capacity that we had to, to rally that fight flight response was tapped in April of 2020. Um, so I remember, remember thinking to myself, oh, I could do this for a week. I could do this for a month. You know, I'm going to go bake banana bread and watch Tiger, Tiger King. Uh, yeah. So, so much for that. Um, we're living in this long-term fight-flight state. We're physically stressed. We're angry. We're sad. We're tired. We're afraid. We're overwhelmed. And our primitive brains are just not wired to do this. Um, so it's, it's a collective experience. We're all in it together. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. The other thing to think about is that we know that we're a pack species. So if you think about animals, there are some that run around kind of loners, we are wired to be pack species. And what that means is we feel safe when we're with our pack. And the weird thing about this pandemic that just made it that much worse is we were told to separate from our pack when our primitive brain is saying, no, be with the pack to be safe. So that really, really threw a real wrench into the works here um, and, and really caused a lot more depletion. Um, so yeah, we can't really expect to ever be like we were before the pandemic because this has really thrown our brains for a loop. Yeah, you make a great point when you talk about small bursts and it's almost sounding like, you know, adrenaline and that adrenaline rush is not meant to be long term. And, and to that point, about a half hour before we started, I was uh, scrolling through online, catching up on the news, and I saw this great quote uh, from uh, an Alan Brand, who's a science and medicine historian at Harvard University. And he said, we are living in the COVID-19 era, not the COVID-19 crisis, mm. which, which made me think, uh, to your point that you just made, this is not a short burst of a thing. This is a long-term, if not 
you know, in many respects, a permanent thing. Absolutely. Uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping it'll recede into the background, but um, I think in some way, you know, it's sort of, you know, we're going to think about the time before the pandemic and the time after the pandemic. Not that the pandemic's gone, but just that our world is in a different place. Yeah, it'll be like BP and PP, I guess, <laughs> whatever words we want to use. instead Yeah, of somebody will come up with some kind of catchy thing. Absolutely. Seinfeld will return with some great pop culture reference about this. Um, one of the biggest changes that has certainly come from COVID-19 is the blurring of lines, I think, between personal lives and work lives. Uh, and more specifically, the blurring of the lines between personal space and workspace. When we're talking about human and instinctual, instinctual reaction to the pandemic, how do you see what is our human reaction to something like this as affecting us all, both at home and in the office, and, and now particularly in our morphed home office? Yeah, absolutely. I think you talked about, you know, we're all human, which means we all had stuff going on before the pandemic hit. And this is just magnifying and complicating some of that. Uh, so I think we're all a little bit grumpier. I mean, you, if you're looking at the news, you're hearing stories, right? Um, things that didn't bother us before, you know, might get under our skin. Now we just don't have the tolerance. Um, we just can't take as much on. I, I use the word bandwidth a lot. Our bandwidth is tapped. We're more easily overwhelmed. Um, for those of us that are starting to go out and rejoin civilization again, um, we might be surprised at how you know nervous or uncomfortable um, we are. If you're going into an office, um, even if you were excited to go, um, you might be a little uncomfortable. Um, I think a lot of us have, I guess, a fair word is grief. Um, you know, none of us wanted any of this. A lot of us lost some things over the past few years, or two years. Um, some of us actually have lost friends or family members. We've lost uh, a sense of normalcy, um, a sense of security in the world, um, certain celebrations and things like that that didn't happen. So I think one of the things we all need to do is just accept um, that it's okay to grieve for a little bit. Um, so those of us that started working at home, this is my home. Um, I had to put up a wall and a little door, but you know, I had to make it work. Um, I'm doing a hybrid kind of thing. So I'm in the office and out of the office and there's things I like. Um, I have more control here over my space. Um, what I do with my time, you know, I can go play with the family pet or walk outside and not feel like my coworkers are like, where is she going? Um, and maybe, you know, for some of you, you feel safer at home. Um, but a lot of us miss the structure and the interaction of the office. You know, there are those hallway conversations or those little pop-ins or what happens in the uh, break room um, that maybe make us less productive, but certainly make us more lonely. Um, and so if we're, we're working hybrid, we got to learn to socialize with other humans again. I, I was uh, working with a student um, who was remote um, at her college um, for a year and finally gets to go back to college and gets to be in a class. And I checked in. I'm like, how was it? Were you so excited? And she says, forgot how annoying people are. And there's a lot of them. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. Um, so, you know, it's going to take us a little of uh, adjustment. Um, but I think, as you mentioned, this, this could be here to stay, this sort of hybrid workspace. Well, it's, it's interesting, and I alluded to this before. I think we all have a sense of being able to adapt, some people better than others. I mean, and I'll just speak for myself. I am not great with change. So I think, and maybe I do speak for a lot of people, but at the beginning of this, to your point, I thought this was great. I was going to have two weeks of working from home, a break from the commute, and I'll just pack a briefcase worth of two weeks of reading, and uh, I'll be back here in no time. And you sort of had that initial stress of, well, wait, all my files are in the office. My routine is what it is. And how am I going to adapt to working from home and being by myself and the technology for those people who weren't used to it? And then what you found for a lot of people is after a year, year and a half, you know what? I've sort of gotten pretty good at this. I've gotten comfortable. I've got my own new file set up at home. I'm adapting to technology. I like going right to dinner for my computer. And now it's almost as if people are a little stressed with the notion of going back to what those old routines are. I mean, is that, is that a real thing? This notion of, well, adapt, it takes us a little while, but eventually we adapt and it's the source of the stress 
that's changing, even if it may be going back to the pre-pandemic normal. Absolutely. It's, you know, too much change, too much change in a year and a half. Um, so, yeah, I'm definitely hearing a lot of um, adjustments. Um, you know, we, we've had, all had to change and then it's like, oh, wait, there's new information, right? Remember when we thought this and then they threw out some other information and we went, oh, wait, wait. We have, to, we have to digest this and adjust how we work again or adjust how we go about our lives again. So there's definitely a lot. Um, and I don't know what everybody's situations were. You know, if we were in real life, I'd ask you to raise your hands and stuff, but I can't see you. Um, but yeah, a lot of us are, you know, working from home, going out into the world a little bit and having to readjust. I mean, my commute used to be, I don't know, 30 minutes, but it was my time where I decompressed. You know, and I kind of, okay, leave that work stuff there. And now I'm going to be home and shift into homework. And now my commute went on the days I'm working from home. Like today, my commute is going to be about 10 steps. Um, So, you know, there is no separation and disconnection. Um, So, you know, as far as how the pandemic has changed the way we work, I mean, again, acknowledge the loss, acknowledge like, I don't like this part, or I do like this part, right? I am loving the workplace casual that happens at home, right? Um, A lot more comfortable. So um, how do we do that? How do we have that separation? I think one of the things that's really, really important, if you are working a hybrid uh, way, or maybe you're going to work from home forever and ever, um, is make sure you have a clock on and a clock off time. And it's okay, if it's a different time, some days than others, and really adhere to it. Because one of the things I'm hearing from people that are doing this is, you know, they don't have that separation. So it's, you know, oh, 11 o'clock, I'm just going to check some emails, and I'm going to get back to somebody. Um, And that really, you know, you're never off. So there's never a time where your brain shifts and you're out away from work. Um, you know, if you're working in a small apartment, you know, you can see your work right over there all the time waiting for you, looking at you. Um, you know, I had to talk to one of my clients about, no, don't take your laptop to the couch. Leave it over there because it's just really tempting to open up and do a little bit of work. So having some start and end times and really adhering to that boundary for yourself to protect yourself, no matter how tempting. Um, If you can find a dedicated workspace, I hope some of you have found that by now. If there's no door, which I know is a luxury to have a door, you know, get creative. I had people get screens, like those folding screens. I had someone do um, PVC pipe kind of thing, and they hung like a backdrop that they ordered offline. It looked really cool. It looked like a whitewash, like brick kind of background, but then she poked it and it like rippled. And I thought, that's not real. Um, but it was really cool. She pulled it aside and there was her kitchen table and you just can't see it. But more than for the cool backdrop, which I know we've got Zoom cool backdrops now, is I need something that's going to say I'm in work or I'm out of work. And if you share your living space with somebody, that's a visual for them too. Oh, Mike's at work. Don't bother him. Mike's out of work. Now it's okay to bother him. Uh, The dog might not listen to you if you have a dog though. So the physical separation, clearly important. Um, And maybe it's all tied together, the physical and the emotional and the mental. But part of the challenges, obviously, with working remotely is that the home office offers such a myriad of challenges. So many people have young children who, for a long period of time, were being homeschooled, were not able to go to school, uh, to the television being there, to the 24-7 kitchen pantry. So... You know, aside from just having this physical separateness, how are we able to maximize our ability to actually focus on work when we are working from home? Yeah, focus is a challenge sometimes, especially if it's a, as I call, less desirable task. You know, that report you don't want to write. It's really easy to get distracted. Oh, I'll just run down the kitchen and get a snack. Um, And yeah, forget about it. If you were one of the parents with a young child doing remote school, I'm so sorry. Um, I just felt very lucky that I had a little bit older kids. I don't know how I would have done my work without, you know, a kid poking ahead and saying, I need a snack. Um, so yeah, I think a physical space if, and some sort of signal, 
you know, as to when you're on and off, you know, some people had a little like door hanger, like it's okay to interrupt. Um, my, my business partner at work, we all joke about his signals. He's got a door on his office. And if it's all the way open, he wants you to interrupt him, please. Um, if it's just cracked, it better be important. And if it's shut, please don't interrupt him. He's trying to get some workflow. Um, and even when you go back to the office, um, if you're working in the office some days, um, have some sort of signal on your desk. Uh, because you're used to maybe having a little bit of privacy or a little bit more control um, as to, you know, maybe red light, yellow light, green light. Um, When is it okay to interrupt your flow? Um, There are positives to working from home too. I mean, you can flex your schedule a lot, right? You can take the dog for a walk. You can go pick up a kid from school. Um, You can run an errand, throw some laundry in, although that's not fun. Um, And you can, you know, the kitchen's open 24-7, so you can go get that break. Um, So I would encourage you to maximize that. Go outside, Um, you know, revel in the things that we have gained from the home office. Um, I want to address this idea of work-life balance. I was really thinking a lot about it, and it, it feels simplistic, you know, if I hear the word self-care, I'm going to use it, but it, it's getting cliche. Um, so I want to think about it on a grander scale. Um, I think the pandemic, when we're looking for positives, has brought a focus to workplace balance that we never had before. Um, we're understanding that, you know, this job hopping that you alluded to, people are thinking about leaving their jobs. People are leaving their jobs. Why? I think it's really complex. And I think part of it is we need a broader definition of work-life balance. It's not just time off the clock. Um, So when we look at why people are happy with their jobs, there's a few key components. And I've really been thinking about this for myself because I'm not only a worker, I'm an employer. Um, You know, I think certainly we know people want to feel respected and valued, you know, that they're important to the organization. And, but I think now people are like, I need you to see me as a whole person as you said earlier, we're human. You know, I'm not just someone that comes to work. I have this going on at home. Maybe I'm a caregiver for somebody. Maybe I, you know, I have this huge interest outside of work that is really important to me. Um, At work, we want to feel purposeful. We want to feel productive. um, And we want to feel engaged and challenged as well as being a part of something bigger than ourselves. And I think that's been kind of hard where you talk about working from home. It's like, how do I make sure I feel productive, engaged, and a part of something? And then last, I think this work-life balance isn't just taking time off. It's having a really rich, full life outside of work, not just downtime, although we need downtime. So fascinating. And, And to me, what's important is not just for those who are on the employee side to make this happen, to recognize this and do what they can to improve their, as you keep saying, the work-life balance. But I think there's some obligation on the employer side uh, to recognize this and to do something about it. You know, we've we've been experiencing lately meeting-free Fridays or email-free weekends. So flipping the, the, the switch or the script a little bit, how can employers promote better focus for employees without seeming like they're intruding in those employees' lives while they're at home? I love that question. I, you know, I think it's a top-down model. I think it can't just be talk. You can't just throw around wellness and, you know, work-life balance and all of this. Um, I think you have to role model it and make that obvious. What are you doing as a leader in your company to role model um, respect for time or work-life balance. Um, you know, we, we recently instituted a unlimited PTO at work. Um, and, you know, in looking and researching, you know, how does that work and does it work well? Um, you know, one of the things they talk about in some of the research is you can't just put it in place. You have to encourage it and respect it. You know, it can't be like, oh, did you hear Mike's taking time off again? Good Lord, you know? Um, So it's really role modeling it and living it and, you know, taking that time yourself, respecting boundaries. You know, we talked about having that signal of when is it okay to interrupt me? Um, Encouraging your workers to turn off notifications, but then really honestly not grumbling when they don't respond for 24 hours to your email. Um, I recently sent an email to someone and I had a reaction because her 
auto reply came back and it said, I respond to emails between eight and 9 a.m. each day. Wow, really? And I was like, you mean you're not going to get right back to me? I was kind of a little annoyed. Um, but then I kind of sat back a second and went, oh, that's cool. I really respect that. It set an expectation. Um, so talking about ways, you know, to problem solve some of those interruptions so that people can get that workflow. Um, I love days without meetings. Because one of the things we've been missing is that connectedness. Again, that like, hey, chat in the hallway where we problem solve something on the fly. Now everything's a scheduled meeting. So I think thinking about, you know, is it really important to have a meeting? Um, or is it just, I miss you and I want to talk to you? Um, and can it wait? And if you do have a meeting, really honoring you know, the timeline and your agenda and sticking to it and ending it on time so that people don't kind of say, oh, well, we're going to have a meeting, but I know it's going to bleed into a two-hour thing. Um, and if someone says no, being okay with that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I've seen where companies are thinking about the return to work and how can they structure it without structuring too much to accomplish mm -hmm. these kinds of goals. So for example, if they're saying we're going to return to work for three days a week. And what we'll do is we will have all of our meetings and our collaboration time in those three days while we're here in the office. And then for the other, when you're working remotely, whether it's two days or if it's three days, that'll be for your time to do your work. And, and obviously it doesn't work for every position in every organization, but it's interesting um, when they're looking at trying to take advantage of the collaboration goal for a few days in the office, but recognize you don't also don't want to be doing that anymore all the time. And so we'll give you the two or three days where you're going to do what you need to do for yourself without the team and the collaboration and the in-person. So it's, it's employers are at least thinking about this. Absolutely. And I, again, I think that's one of the best things that's coming out of the pandemic is this really fresh look at how we work. Um, I've been doing some workshops with companies that are returning to the office. And one of the things I ask people to do is before you even start making a plan, think about how you work. You know, there's work that I do best in the office and there's work I do best home sitting in my, you know, sweatpants and flip-flops. So. That's right. No question. Uh, and, and again, you know, we don't want this just to be the two of us talking at all of you. If you do have a question, uh, as we continue to the top of the hour, if you have a question, please put it in the uh, chat uh, chat box, and we're happy to address it. Um, again, it's 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 finding these lines and where to draw the lines. And again, employers, I think, have an obligation to help facilitate uh, the right part of the line. Um, how can employers encourage camaraderie and collaboration while at the same time reduce isolation and that feeling of being siloed that comes in this new work paradigm when we all are getting the Zoom fatigue and we all are still mostly uh, working remote? How can employers encourage that balance? I think it's a really, it, probably one of the most challenging things about the pandemic. I mean, um, I love that we have all this technology that connects us, but it's, you know, it's a blessing and a curse. Um, it's not the same. So I think, you know, one thing I keep coming back to is just we are connected, um, you know, just by our shared experience. When you're living through something together that will end up in history books, we are connected. Um, so starting with that collective mentality, because um, I know there's been a lot of division over the past year and a half and it continues. So I'm hoping that, you know, focusing on the collective is going to bring out the best in all of us. Um, I think the other thing is just accepting it's going to be different. It's not going to be fabulous. It's not the same as, you know, when you're in the office. Um, so, you know, we've all tried new programs. We've all played some games online. You know, I always wondered, like, you know, the family that lived far away, why didn't we do this before? Um, you know, we could have been doing that all along. Um, but I'm, I think, you know, having some fun experiences online, not making it all work, making sure that we're not talking about the pandemic every time we get online together. Um, you know, having, I, I've heard some fabulous things, you know, wine tastings over, over Zoom or virtual cooking classes or, um, you know, fun fun venting or processing sessions, um, starting the meeting on a positive note. What's one good thing that happened all week to you before we get started? You know, one little like elevator blip. Um, 
but maybe, you know, some people are starting to meet a little in person outside. Um, the other thing I will say about Zoom itself is I think it's fabulous. Um, but from a psychological perspective, I have a hard time if there's a whole bunch of you, like I'd love it if I could say all your faces, but there's no way I could focus. So I'm going to miss your facial expression. I'm going to only see you from here up. So I'm not going to have that body language to feed off of. It's just not the same. So it is a little harder to connect. So having some larger Zoom meetings, but also maybe trying to do the breakouts here and there. I'm not trying to say you have to have a lot of meetings. Um, But, you know, if there's somebody that you're really having trouble connecting with or that you really need to, you know, um, have something productive with doing a smaller two, four person meeting where you can really read the person. And then honestly, I like a good walk and talk. And since we can't maybe be in person as much, you know, take your phone, get off of the screen and go outside and plan that the other person that you're meeting with is also taking a walk at the same time. You're getting fresh air, vitamin D, and you're connecting and you're not staring at a screen. I know for me, when I started working like this, um, I was like, why, you know, why does everything hurt? Why are my eyes tired? Um, When I was sitting doing my job at the office, but we're positioned so consistently staring the same way, holding our heads the same way and our eyes focusing the same way. It's really important to step away from that and maybe try to meet safely in a different way, even if it's, you know, far apart somewhere. That's all great points. And one of the other things that at least I'm seeing is, you know, we're still doing the same Zoom meetings, but there are fewer people whose cameras are on now. (laughs) Uh, And to your point, you know, and and I'd I'd be interested in what the psychological effect uh, of all of this is on that. You know, it's uh, as to you just your point a few minutes ago, you said it's hard to get everybody's facial expressions and body language. On the other hand, if you have six people in a meeting and four of them have their video cameras off, so you're re- literally talking to just a blank screen, that, that becomes a little difficult too. Yeah, there's a, there's a few different reasons. I looked at that a lot because I work with adults and kids and uh, teachers are asking me, how am I supposed to teach like this? Kids don't have their cameras on. I can't see them. Um, and I said, you know, it's kind of uncomfortable. I know before we started this, I turned my my little screen off so I wouldn't have to look at myself. It's pretty self-conscious. You know, if you've got a big screen and hopefully some of you had some magnificent screens to work on, you know, and seeing your giant head on there and think about being hours a day, every day. Right. You don't want to see yourself, um, you know, and also you don't want to be camera ready. Right. So or and for some people, they don't want you looking into their house. So we've got the nice backgrounds going on um, and other people just, you know, they want to be doing other things while they're listening, which does make it really hard to have that conversation. Yeah, no question. I mean, should, should we uh, as employers, should we be promoting employees to take vacations and disconnect from their devices, even if. They don't physically go anywhere, sort of the the staycation that we used to uh, call it. Absolutely, 100%. I know I'm better when I take breaks. Um, I'm a better employee. I'm more engaged. You know, what you were talking about at the start is really a description of burnout. That's one of the things I've been working a lot on over the past year and a half personally and, you know, with my clients and, and my employees is there's a lot of burnout. Um, a lot of us were supposed to take vacations. We didn't get to take when the world shut down. You can't get on a plane. You can't do this. You can't do that. Um, so I have always promoted, do not hang on by your fingernails all year long and then take that glorious one week at the beach. That is not a sustainable situation. I would much, much rather somebody take a half day here and there, take a full day here and there, do a long weekend. That is much more sustainable um, and when you do, I want you to turn in your emails off. I want you to turn in your phone notifications off. And trust me, I know how hard that is. I'm a little bit of a phone addict. I'm a little bit overly connected by a default. Um, I have anxiety about what's going to be waiting for me when I come back. Um, so I will do it if you will. Please turn that stuff off. Um, I talk a lot about filling your bucket. So the idea there is, if you have a full bucket, you have a lot to, to dip and scoop from and give to your work or your partner or your child um, or your friend. Um, if your bucket is empty, you're not good to anybody. Um, so some of that, yeah, taking a vacation and really turning it off 
whether it be a full week or a day here and there is really critical. Um, and don't use it to like clean the gutters and like, you know, clean out the, no, do not, unless that's like your idea of a good time, you know, take the time off and do stuff by yourself, veg out, go do something new, um, step away from everything familiar. Um, and as leaders, this needs to be top down. So, you know, I get a little grief when I'm like, you know, coming in with like this much in my bucket. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're right. I gotta, um, I actually started taking, um, a day off a week or a half day off doing a long weekend on a regular basis. And I find that I'm much more present with my work. Um, I don't, um, I don't find myself kind of going, Oh, I gotta go to work. And it's not as bad. So absolutely. 100%. So I want to switch gears for a minute as well, because when we talk about the phones and disconnecting, it's not just about the emails and the texts and the work stuff that you're disconnecting from. You know, it it is hard without question to maintain an even keel positive attitude through this entire pandemic. But the phones are also used for social media and for instant access to 24-7 news. And you alluded to before about how, uh, you know, there's a lot of you know, fighting, and, and I forgot the word you used, but, but a lot in the past five, six, seven years, even before the pandemic, um, what, what people are going through. Does the media and, and all of the information you get from social media and other forms of media, does, does the media play any role in shaping our mental health? Absolutely. Um, I am not anti-tech um, for even for kids. I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, you've had five minutes of screen time, get, get away. Um, I think it's a blessing in a lot of way, and it, it does help us to stay connected. But there is a huge risk for what in my field I, I refer to as secondary trauma. Repeated exposure to tragic events or negative events, you know, that, that news clip where they show you that video clip, that two-second video clip over and over and over again. You are experiencing that on some level. So there is a real risk for secondary trauma. And what, I mean, what has the news been like for the past two years? Um, It is trauma after trauma. Um, So what I often am saying is negative feelings and stress are as contagious as a virus. So you really have to be careful with what you are exposing yourself to. Um, I think, you know, when we talked about that primitive part of our brain, you know, we want to be alert and ready for the next whammy, the next thing that's coming at us. So I think some of us, you know, leave the news on in the background, leave the scroll at the bottom, leave the notifications popping up because we want to be aware and ready, right, for some bad thing that's going to happen. Um, but I will tell you, I had um, a woman this year who was really, really struggling. Um, she was working from home. Her kids were doing school from home. Her husband was home um, and she was having massive anxiety and had gone to the doctor and started on an anti-anxiety med. Um, she was able to come off of that med when we pulled and limited a lot of her media exposure um, and then replaced it with a once a week walk with her friends, regardless of the weather, they get out every Sunday and they go for a walk. Um, so that outdoor away from our computer, human connection, and not talking about all this stuff. Um, so that's how powerful it can be. And, and I mean, let's be honest, the news is sensational and negative for a reason, because they got to grab our, our attention, right? If it was like boring stuff, nobody would pay attention. Right. Um, but yeah, we have to quiet the noise. I, I, I think I'm going to patent this one. I like to say, I want you informed. I don't want you hiding under a rock clueless. I want you informed, but I don't want you inflamed. So following some kind of little, someone told me about something called the skim, where they just give you the headlines so that you know what's going on and check it once, once a day. Do not leave that on all the time. And then I actually purged some of my social media feed. I got rid of some really negative people, um, negative sites, and I filled them in with positive sites because I just needed some good news this year. So I'm following sites and I get no kickbacks from these. Um, Upworthy, Good News Network. Um, I took certain people out of my feed and I actually stopped, you know, maybe chatting with certain people because they were just so negative. Um, And then just taking it outside and away from your technology sometime. You know, it's it's almost, you know, your bucket. It's not just what you put in it. It's limiting what's draining your bucket. And this is definitely a bucket drainer when you're on the media too much. That sounds so easy to do, right? It sounds so easy to say, okay, I'm going to get the negative people out of my life. 
I'm going to stop watching or listening to this news source for 11 hours of my day. I, I, I suspect that you probably that you have people out there who don't realize that they're suffering the burnout, don't don't realize that they're having mental health issues. Because, you know, what we're talking about, it sounds like those are the people who recognize they have a problem and now they're going to do something about it. What are the signs that we should be looking for in ourselves to say, hey, wait a second, I didn't realize this before, but I'm suffering from what Dr. Carson Sacco is telling me I'm suffering from. And I didn't know that before. I didn't know I had to do anything about it before. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Look, none of us have been free of impact from this. I mean, we've all felt anxious. We've all felt depressed. We all know people that are struggling. Um, You know, we're in my world. It's when does it cross the line where it's affecting your work, your relationships, your ability to enjoy life? You know, is your eating messed up? Is your sleep messed up? Are you leaning too much on alcohol or other drugs? Um, You know, have you had dark thoughts? Um, are you having trouble just living your life? And, you know, it doesn't mean anybody's crazy. It just means you're human. And if, if you haven't felt some of that over the past year, you know, I wonder if you are. Um, so, you know, those are the moments where I'm asking people to look for your team. And your team could be resources at work, coworkers, leaders, um, you know, those things that are in place uh, from your employer, but also, you know, family members, friends, doctors, religious leaders, you know, who's on your team? And, you know, I think it takes strength. You know, it's not a sign of weakness. It's, it's a strength to ask for help. You know, how can they support you through this time, just as you would support them, you know, as we're going through this. And how do you pro, well, you just mentioned sleep a moment ago. Studies certainly have suggested that sleep is critically important to our well-being. Why is that? Um, it, I mean, it's very, it, it is a basic time that our body and our minds restore and replenish. We need to shut down. Um, you know, look, lack of sleep, chronic lack of sleep is a sign of many things, and it can mimic a lot of um, disorders. You know, if, if I'm evaluating a kid who someone says, oh, this kid might have ADD, I'm looking at his sleep, you know, because if he's not sleeping, it can look that way. Um, I mean, honestly, you know, people have used sleep deprivation as a means of torture. Um, so sleep is critical. Um a lot of people have struggled with it in the beginning. I don't know if any of you went through this, but I heard I had it myself. I heard people over and over. I'm having weird, vivid dreams. My sleep cycle is all messed up. I'm waking up, right? We all went through that. That's that collective experience. So if you were to go to a sleep center, Mike, someone would say to you, let's talk about your sleep hygiene, which sounds very technical, but I'll explain. Um, it's going to be basic things like going to bed around the same time every night, and waking up around the same time every night to kind of get that cycle reset. It takes about a week of doing that. Um, the routine before you're going to fall asleep is essential. So if you have three or four things in that routine, all of them being things that are calming, um, and they can be things like brushing your teeth. And then I always, you know, wash my face. And then I always read each one of those steps is a signal to your brain. We're getting closer to sleep time. So when you brush your teeth, your brain goes, oh, must be time. And then you wash your face. It's like, oh, I know what comes next. Um, You want to definitely avoid, you've heard this, but you want to avoid electronics. Um, Anything that your brain is interacting with, whether it be a game or you're scrolling or searching things or typing things, your brain is interacting with that device. And it's like alert, alert, alert. It's like turning all the wires on. So you want to turn off electronics about an hour before brain, your, your bedtime to get your brain to power down. And you want to stay away from alcohol and other non-prescribed drugs. People will say to me like, oh, you know, I, I have a glass of wine or whatever to help me fall asleep. That will backfire because you won't actually get restorative sleep. And then your bedroom should be cool, dark, comfortable. And some people like some white noise. If you have children that wake you up, A, I'm sorry. Again, I've been through it. Um, Take turns if you have a parenting partner on who gets up and who gets to sleep in on the weekends. And if you're really struggling, you've tried all these things for a good solid week or so and they're just not working, um, I want you to talk to your doctor uh, to try to get a little bit of a reset. Um, Some people do well with things like melatonin. It doesn't have to be a hard drug. Um, But yeah, getting a good, my minimum is seven hours for people. I really like you to get at least eight most nights. And it sounds like you would even suggest 
not having the phone or the laptop anywhere near your bed, if not in a different room. Living in a studio, you can't, I can't help it. But yes, I want it powered completely off because I don't know about you, but you ever get that phantom where you think you heard your phone vibrate because your brain is like alert listening for it. Um, So your brain is always going to kind of be awake at night listening for those alerts because it's important. Um, So powering it all the way off gives your brain a break to say, I don't have to listen for that anymore. Interesting uh, comment that was just posted in the uh, Q&A says, how can we get our teammates to get their wellness checks in check? If we get everyone on board to prioritize their medical check-ins, it might help to address issues individually as well as help build team camaraderie because it signals to everyone that our health is the priority. Absolutely. I think that's a great point. You know, I'm sure there are all kinds of wellness plans in place. There are people, you know, in the company that are, that is their job to kind of come up with all that stuff. You know, I've seen people do rewards programs, you know, kind of, you know, got my check in, you know, I get a little point, um, having a little competition with it. Um, and gift cards, you know, everybody who like checks these boxes throughout the year gets their little check up here, goes to the dentist, whatever, they get a gift card. It doesn't have to be much, but it just puts it on the radar that we as a company think this is really important. Um, and again, top down, if everybody's doing it, you know, leaders and everyone else, you know, competing for those things or making sure they're checking off those things, um, you know, it creates a climate that this is just the norm. Uh, no, no question about it. So we've got a few minutes left and, and certainly if anybody else has a comment or a question, uh, we'd love to address them in our last few minutes. Um, but this is always that the takeaways portion of uh, any webinar or conference uh, panel. And so I'd love to get some sort of final thoughts from you, Dr. Carson Sacco. Um, these 18 months certainly look like they're going to continue to pose challenges to employers, employees, and humans. Uh, and this notion of work time uh, will perhaps be a permanent change, I think. Uh, it's not going away anytime soon. What, what are some takeaways on the pandemic's impact on mental health and, more importantly, some key takeaways for how we can all recognize and address the long-term impact in the coming months and years? It's a big question. Um, I know. <laughs> I think, again, you know, something that we've all gone through is humans together. Um, You know, we don't want to be in the history books for this. Um, But you think about, you know, when we talk about the greatest generation, why do we call them the greatest generation? Because they went through a lot of awful stuff, right? Um, But it, it caused some resiliency. It caused a shift in the way that we see things and do things. And I'm hoping that, you know, getting through this together, we, we take a hard look at how we're living. Um, we have some compassion for each other. Um, I know that the word I used before was division because I feel like there's a lot of it. But I think if we really think about it, you know, we're all going through this together and, you know, having some compassion for yourself. Don't expect yourself to be who you were before the pandemic. And let's not forget, it's still going on. Um, so you're not going to be able to work or be the same way that you were before. And But neither are the people around you. So having compassion that we're all kind of in a, uh, you know, tapped bandwidth kind of situation. Um, Focusing on, you know, how do we fill our bucket? That's always important, but it's really important now. And it doesn't have to be a lot. It could be saying no to something. It could be limiting something. Um, 15, 20 minutes a day, you know, meditation. There's really great research on meditation. Um, If you want to check it out, check out the research coming out of uh, Jefferson and University of Pennsylvania and Philadelphia. But you know, they show that things like meditation, which just seems so, you know, out there, um, 15, 20 minutes a day actually improves immune systems, brain function. And they're reading this stuff on, you know, on some pretty cool machines. Um, so just, you know, making that a part of your practice, 15 minutes, but it, it shows changes. So I think if we're all starting to focus on that, um, you know, and, and I want to say that I don't think I'm ever going to take for granted getting on a plane again. I hope not. I'm not going to take for granted being able to hug people again. Um, you know, those kinds of things. And I think the kids that are growing up with this too, are going to have some, you know, appreciation for family dinners and family game nights and, and the simple things that we all lost over the past year and a half. Um, so we lost a lot, but I'm hoping we gained some perspective. Uh, I think there's, there's a lot of great points in there. We've been calling the glass half full 
there certainly have been some benefits uh, that we all hopefully not take for granted. You know, we, we've been spending the bulk of this past hour talking about the impact of the pandemic on us. Um, but I, I don't think you can go an entire session without acknowledging that there are so many people who have young kids at home um, who are being impacted by this in, in so many significant ways and in many ways uh, that we might not even realize uh, in the moment. Uh, for those who are balancing being an employee, you know, low wage earners to the most senior executive, have young kids at home. What are some thoughts that you have on how they address the pandemic and the realities of the pandemic with their children who are at home, who are struggling and may not be able to verbalize what they're going through? Now that, that I probably do a whole webinar on that one. Um, I know. You mean <laughs> um, much for just six minutes? Yes, absolutely. I um, There are some great resources out there. If you uh, look at the American Psychological Association, um, there is information on their website about how to talk about um, the pandemic and natural disasters with kids of different ages. There's some great picture books um, to talk about those types of things. But I think on a day-to-day basis, you know, trying to have structure and routine, you know, for them, structure and routine, that's why some of us were so unnerved by the changes of having to move our work and all of that is structure means things are safe. You know, when we have a routine, that means life is going about as it should. Um, and that creates a sense of security. So when we can have routine for our kids, look, things are not always going to be perfect. But if we can have some routines, you know, whether it's a story before bed or we always do this in the morning or we always take a walk, um, that causes some sense of safety with them. Um, you know, when they're asking questions, you know, answer them the best you can in an age-appropriate manner. Um, if you're struggling with that, again, there are some really good resources on how to answer those things. And I think the number one thing, though, when I work with parents is parents are doing well, kids are often doing well. So when you're not sure what to do for your children, do for yourself, because the healthier and, and better place that you are, they're reading that, you know, and they know when we get back to primitive talking, you know, our offspring know that they're relying on us for their survival. So if they sense that we are struggling, they feel scared. So making sure that we're in a really good place um, so that we can be there for them. That's such a great point. Um, and, and you read my mind where I was going to go. You know, it's it should be enough to want to take care of yourself and do all of the things that you've been talking about the last hour to make you a better person, to make you a better employer or employee. But the fact is that, you know, if, if you need another reason, uh, whether you're taking care of, uh, you know, seniors uh, who you live with or who you have responsibility over, or it's the young kids uh, who are looking to you as, uh, you know, their, their North Star and how do I get through this? Um, those are certainly some other reasons why it's so critically important to take care of yourself at the end of the day. Not saying it's easy. <laughs> no, no, Just saying it's important. None of this is ever easy. So it um, looks like we've got about two minutes left. Um, I don't know if anybody else has any other comments or questions. We'd love to hear from you, but we understand. Uh, again, don't want to add to the stress of this and uh, think that you have to step up and say something, whether anonymously uh, or otherwise. Um, you, you think, uh, while we're seeing if anyone else does have a question or comment, do you think that your practice is going to be uh, in some measure virtual practice, even when we get back to, if we ever get back to a pure in-person form again? Absolutely. Uh, again, nothing I ever thought was going to happen. Um, yeah, we have uh, clinicians who have small children and this works great for them. They, you know, some of them are commuting an hour each way to the office before. Um, so they're like, no, this is working for me. Um, there has been some movement, which is really, really cool in my world um, for mental health parity, meaning that mental health is getting treated by insurance companies and places like that um, the same way a medical condition would be. Um, so there's been a real push to allow for telehealth to continue. Um, and through that, some even crossing of state lines in terms of licensure. So I've had some clients leave their jobs and go to new jobs and move to different states. And I've been able to provide a continuity of care because of telehealth. So nothing I ever thought, but yeah, I think I'm going to be probably two thirds in person and one third at home. 
That's uh, that's terrific. Again, I love finishing this off on a glasses half full uh, outlook on this. Uh, Dr. Christina Carson Sacco, I can't thank you enough for uh, for joining us in this discussion. As you said, we could spend hours, if not days, talking about these really critical uh, issues. But I really want to thank you for for taking some of your time out to uh, to help us out. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me and focusing on this. Yeah, no, this has been an honor also for me. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to speak with everyone. Um, for those who are not after an hour sick of hearing my voice, uh, I do have a podcast uh, called Employment Law Now. Uh, if you're interested in labor and employment issues, trends, developments, all of that, um, it's Employment Law Now. Uh, you can find it in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you find podcasts. That is my one shameless plug of the hour. Um, but otherwise, it is the top of the hour. And uh, thank you all as well for joining us uh, and for spending some time. I hope you, your colleagues and your family continue to stay safe and healthy um, and have a great rest of the evening. Mark? Yes, thank you. Thank, thanks very much to Cozen O'Connor for this great wellness uh, event. I know our members enjoyed it. It was a great conversation. I, I enjoyed it as well. Um, and so I thank both of you. And I also thank Thanks to all of our New York City uh, attendees, and we hope to see you at a future event. Everyone have a great evening. I thought Dr. Carson Sacco was really terrific talking about significant issues, important issues. And again, I hope you found something that was informative and useful for your own lives, as well as to take back to your organizations. Until the next time, I hope all of your labor is productive.